and 11. We'll spend some time there this morning. There's a lot there, so we'll, again, like last few weeks, hover over it like we're in a helicopter, seeing the bigger picture and uh, more of the details, hopefully, you can talk about in your, or maybe you've already done in your discipleship groups, but I hope to apply the significance of these uh, verses uh, to uh, your leadership and ministry uh, among us uh, this morning. In your service sheet, you've got an outline, so feel free to use that to write down any comments or questions uh, as we go through this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you give us humility this morning, that as we examine ourselves before you and before your people, that we might be real and that we might be humble enough to see areas of weakness that we might need to adjust because of your word. And so, Father, we pray that you uh, be with us now as you promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week I mentioned my soccer skills as a six-year-old, perfecting the own goal. You might remember that. Well, when I was a little bit older, my confidence in the game of soccer only increased. I can often recall in the playground at school lunchtime, a big game of soccer would soon ensue and I would quite proudly take a leadership role uh, in organising that game. And so I would say to my friends, uh, you, uh, you Julius, you play defence, you Reese, you can play attacker, we know that's where you kind of want to be anyway, Uh, Paul, you can be goalie, uh, and I'll be captain. And During the game, I would then helpfully point out to people their strengths and their weaknesses and remind people that the goal is at the other end. It seemed to be a focus of my leadership. Uh, And tell people where they went wrong and and what they needed to do to get better. And then surely enough, someone got fed up with me and said this, who died and made you boss? And maybe you've heard that phrase uh, before, either said to you or maybe you've said it about somebody else as well. It's a simple way, isn't it? of putting someone in their place after they get a little too bossy. And in Australian culture in particular, there is this growing cynicism, isn't there, towards leadership across the board, whether in sporting teams or in your workplace, uh, in politics. How many prime ministers have we had in recent times? I know that ambulance officers now don't ask the question to check people's faculties. Do you know who our prime minister is? Because it's an unsure answer. But even in the church, there's a cynicism towards leadership as well. And our media doesn't help us, does it? Because our media is very helpful in promoting and magnifying leadership cynicism by pointing out their various misdeeds and mistakes. And yet, well, as a society, we have these low expectations of our leaders, yes, but we also almost paradoxically realise that we still need leaders as well and we expect a great deal from which is probably why we're a little frustrated when they don't measure up and we can't avoid leaders either. We naturally find ourselves drawn to certain personalities, don't we? We allow people, whether they're the boss or not, to influence our lives and we follow people. So let me ask you, who is influencing your life at the moment? Who are you listening to? Who are you following? Moreover, whether we are a leader or not, or we think that we are a leader or not, we do exercise influence over others. Leadership really is just influence um, over others. And we all have influence. If you're a parent at home, you have influence over your children. If you're in your workplace, whether you are the boss or not, you have influence over others. And particularly at church, 
whether you're up on the platform or not, you can have influence over other people. Who are you influencing at the moment? And are you influencing them for good uh, or uh, for other things? What kind of leader are you? These are the questions that I think Paul answers for us in 2 Corinthians 10 and 11. And the passage follows on from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where the theme that I mentioned last week was grace giving, giving out of grace, not out of guilt or to get. And in our chapters today, Paul returns to a familiar topic to him as he feels the need to defend his apostolic authority and leadership. And I think his big idea in 2 Corinthians 10 and 11 expands on the theme of grace from chapters 8 and 9. So the theme that I think chapters 10 and 11 cover is this, that great leadership is grace leadership. Great leadership is grace-shaped leadership. And I think we can see that in three ways uh, in our chapters this morning. The first is that great leaders or grace leaders belong to Christ. If you've been with us over the series in 2 Corinthians, you might recall that one of the problems that the church in Corinth had was that there were these outsiders that had come into the church, infiltrated the church, if you like, calling themselves apostles of Christ Jesus and influencing the people to follow them at the expense of the Apostle Paul, even denigrating the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul calls them in chapter 11, verse 5, super apostles, which is a, not a term of endearment from the Apostle Paul. He's making fun uh, of them, but they are self-proclaimed super apostles. And you can hear a little bit of how they are denigrating Paul in verse 10 of chapter 10. So look down at verse 10 of chapter 10. This is Paul recounting what he has heard people say about him. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence or appearance is weak and his public speaking is, get this, despicable. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to find any more of an insult that you could say to a minister or to a preacher than to say that their, their Bible teaching is despicable, you know, is worthless, doesn't amount to anything, is a waste of time. It goes straight to the security uh, of a preacher and minister of God's people. And what's more than that, these super apostles are saying that Paul is not much to look at either. His physical presence is weak. He's more like Mr. Bean than Matt Damon. And why are people listening to him as well? He's a lightweight apostle, if any, at all. Now, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 6 and 7, Paul admits that he was not trained in public speaking. And the super apostles, it seems, are also denigrating not just his, his method of ministry, but his manner as well. While he's, um, Paul says that he offers his ministry free of charge, which he thinks is an act of humility, the super apostles are saying, seeing he doesn't put any value towards his ministry. If he really believed in what he was doing, uh, you, you know, you'd, you'd pay for it because you'd realise how worthwhile it is. He's so unprofessional, is the Apostle Paul. That's what people are saying about him. But rather than seeing all that as a sign of weakness and that he's not approved by God, Paul says that these are actually vindications that he is appointed by God. And he makes that clear in verse 7 of chapter 10. Verse 7 of chapter 10. Look at what is obvious, says Paul. If anyone is confident that he belongs to Christ, he should remind himself of this. Just as he belongs to Christ, so do we. 
I don't care what people say about me, says Paul. People might say they belong to Christ and I don't, but I know and you know we belong to Christ too. And far from the weaknesses of his activities as an apostle discounting his ministry, Paul says it actually vindicates it because he's in the same mould as a leader as the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice how the chapter begins, chapter 10, verse 1? Paul makes a personal appeal to the Corinthians, I think to listen to him, to respect him as an apostle and as a leader, but notice what basis he makes his appeal. He says, I, Paul, make a personal appeal to you by the power and authority that's been given to me by Jesus Christ. No, that's not what he says, does it? He says, I make my personal appeal to you by the gentleness and graciousness of Christ. Because you remember the type of leader that Jesus was, he wasn't that brash, aggressive, A-type personality leader in any way. He was famous for his gentleness, his meekness and his grace. You remember on the road to Jerusalem, when his disciples were arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest leader, Jesus tells them what it means to be a great leader. He who desires to be first must become the servant of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem as her king, he did so not on a chariot or a war horse. What did he ride in on? Donkey. And you remember that Jesus' crown of glory was his crown of thorns. Paul's humble leadership, he says, is a reflection of Christ's leadership. In chapter 10, verse 2, he says that his natural posture to the Corinthians is not to be bold with them, to be firm, to be aggressive with them. In verse 3, he says that he doesn't fight or, or lead in an unspiritual way like the people of the world. He would prefer to fight arguments and not people, he says. And over and above all of that, in verse 5, he says that he wants to take every thought captive to be obedient to Christ. That is how he sees his leadership. He belongs to Christ and he's going to model Christ in his leadership. And so in verse 8, he says that he wants to use his authority. He doesn't deny he has it, but he's going to use it to build up rather than to tear down. But also like Jesus, Paul's gentleness ought not to be confused with timidity. And that's important because you remember Jesus, although he was gracious and gentle, he wasn't afraid to confront things that needed to be confronted. He would quite openly rebuke the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and we all love to remember that temple cleansing incident as well. And likewise, Paul says that he is gentle and gracious, yes, but he's not afraid to confront things that need to be confronted. Unlike what the other apostles, the super apostles were saying. You know, they're saying, oh, he's weighty and bold and aggressive in his letters. But when he comes to you, oh, he's nothing. Listen to what Paul says in verse 6, chapter 10, he says, And we are ready to punish any disobedience. And then verse 11 such a person should consider this, what we are in the words of our letters when absent, we will be in actions when present. Paul is gentle, he is gracious, but he's not timid. He's like the Lord Jesus Christ. He belongs to Christ and his weak leadership as seen by some is actually a vindication of his true authority as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great leaders are grace leaders because they belong to Christ. Secondly, grace leaders boast in Christ. 
And here is what really separates not so great leaders from great leaders, where their attention uh, is focused. Listen to Paul again in verse 12 to 18 of chapter 10. He says this, For we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves, but in measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves to themselves, they lack understanding. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as we had not reached you, since we have come to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not bragging beyond measure about other people's labours, but we have the hope that as your faith increases, our area of ministry will be greatly enlarged, so that we may proclaim the good news to the regions beyond you, not boasting about what others have already been done in somebody else's area of ministry. So the one who boasts must boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. Now, there's a subtle but firm, I think, rebuke here to the, to the super apostles uh, who in Paul's mind commend themselves. In verse 12, he basically says to them, it's easy to see yourself as great when the only comparison you make is you compare yourself with yourself. Everybody looks great when you do that, says Paul. Like the kid at the athletics carnival at school who thinks that he's the greatest high jumper because he's managed to put the bar so low that he can get over it every single time. Paul says, that's just silly. Well, he's a bit more. He just says, that lacks understanding, uh, says Paul. Now, Paul is quite clear that he will boast. In verse 13, he says that he boasts, but he only boasts according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to him. Now, what is that? Well, in verse 13 and 14, uh, Paul says it to the Corinthians that they are there, his area of ministry that he has even come to them with the gospel of Christ. So what Paul boasts in is the work of Christ in the Corinthians. They are his boast because of what Christ has done in them. And I think there's a little subtle dig there in verse 15 to 17, isn't there, at the super apostles again, who are claiming to be great, better than Paul. But Paul says, well, you guys are really just building on the ministry that I've already started here. And you're claiming that you're the next big thing, but... You know, you're just building on what I've already started. And Paul says, that's not what I want to do. You know, in fact, I want to move on from Corinth. I want the Corinthians to be so mature and strong in their faith that I can leave and go and plant other churches in areas that nobody has been to before. Because Paul's greatest boast is to see Christ's name honoured wherever he is. And there's that great line, verse 17. The one who boasts must boast in the Lord. Great leaders want people to see Christ. Not so great leaders want people to see them. I think that's important to remember. Thirdly, grace leaders are a bastion of Christ. You don't often hear the word bastion in church on a Sunday. There's a photo of a bastion. A bastion was an olden day structure that protected a city from an invading force. Great leaders, shaped by grace, are leaders that want to protect God's people from those that might do them harm. Listen again to Paul's heart for the Corinthian church at the beginning of chapter 11, uh, verse 2. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy because I've promised you in marriage to one husband 
to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a complete and pure devotion to Christ. For a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit which you had not received, or a different gospel which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. You can hear Paul's heart. He has a godly jealousy uh, for the Corinthians. Not that the super apostles might be better than him. That's not what he cares about. What he cares about is them and their Christian maturity and their relationship with the Lord. He sees them like his own precious daughter who is betrothed to Christ and he fears that these good-looking, charming super apostles are going to take them away from their first love. I have a daughter. I get this idea. No, I don't want my daughter to be deceived by some good-looking, smooth-talking charlatan. Those of you who have daughters, you know that burden that you have. It's a godly jealousy that you have uh, for them. And, and later in chapter 11, Paul calls out the super apostles for what they truly are. They are wolves. Have a look at verse 13. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no great thing if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their destiny will be according to their works. These super apostles might be good looking on the outside. They might be very persuasive and charming in their public speaking gifts. But Paul says they are servants of the evil one. And they will draw people who are willing to follow and listen to them away from Christ. Now, the trouble for the Corinthian church, and I guess it's the same trouble that we still have in the modern day churches, these wolves can be hard to spot, can't they? Oh, yes, we might be able to spot the more extreme examples of false leadership, those that deny the existence of Christ or his resurrection from the dead or something like that. But then there are other leaders, other Christian preachers on the surface sound okay. They've written many books that many people have written. They sell out tickets to all the big name conferences around the world. They have a big following online. And yet, some of those can be quite dangerous to you as a follower of Christ. How do you know who you should listen to, who you should follow and who you shouldn't? Well, I think based on chapter 10 and 11, there are some diagnostic questions we could ask ourselves in trying to determine whether a budding romance with a certain celebrity preacher is good for us or not. Some of these questions might be like this. How closely does their manner of leadership match the gentleness and grace of Christ? That's a good question to ask. How quickly do they deflect attention away from themselves and onto Christ? Is their preaching Christ-centred or about making you feel better about yourself? Does their leadership bring people together or does it divide people? That person's better than that person, that person's better than that person. Is their ministry focus a successful program or saved people? They're good questions uh, to ask. Great leadership is grace leadership. Now, many of you, if you've been in churches for a lengthy period of time, particularly here in Sydney, 
and if you follow some certain celebrity preachers uh, around the world, you may have heard of the ministry of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill Church uh, from years ago. Uh, Mark and Mars Hill Church were very influential, not only in the world, but particularly here in Sydney, often inspiring young, brash church planters to go and do their thing. And in many ways, Mark was the type of leader that people are naturally drawn to. He's a great preacher. He's a visionary leader, a dynamic leader. He's not afraid of what people thought about him. He's a plain speaking kind of guy and a go get him kind of person as well. But you might recall that he was forced to resign from his church because of some flaws in his character uh, that had become more prominent in the later years of his ministry at Mars Hill. Uh, He wasn't known for his gentleness and his grace with his staff and with members of the church. At times he was seen to be quite aggressive and would put other people down who weren't as successful as he was. And I think now Mark has learned from that experience as he's entered back into ministry again, and I think he's been humbled by that, which is a wonderful thing. But we mustn't forget that Mark's not alone in that experience. There's been a stream of celebrity preachers over the last few years who've had to step out of their ministry because of character flaws, either being too aggressive or being sexually immoral or whatever it might be. And I'm not saying that these preachers were or are the modern-day equivalent of the super-apostles. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying and what I mention it for you is the danger that we have in just following somebody who sounds good and who looks good, who looks powerful, but yet we are all weak at times as well. And we can be too quick to follow what's flashy and not what is at the heart. And I know that can happen here as well. So if you are a leader in our church today, today is a good day to examine yourself a little bit. Who are you modelling your leadership on? Is it the celebrity preacher or is it Christ? When you are leading a meeting, are you slow to speak and quick to listen? Do you value different ideas and opinions or do you want everyone just to follow what you've already predetermined is the right way to go? Is a win getting your way or is it seeing the group and the church flourish? How do you talk about other ministries in our church or other churches in our area? Do you boast in what Christ is doing amongst them or do you have this tendency to want to put them down? Are you seeking to raise up new leaders in your area of ministry so it can be multiplied? Or are you tightening your grip on your ministry because you don't want to lose the influence that you have? I think there's nothing more destructive in the life of a church than having an insecure leader. But if a leader has truly grasped the gospel, they don't need to worry about their position. They don't need to worry about their so-called power or how people perceive them. They know that they've already been fully accepted by God in Christ. And so they are free just to serve others for their good and for the glory of Christ and so that people are drawn to him. A grace-shaped leader is a great leader. Now, maybe you're thinking of becoming a leader at some point in the future. Start by considering your Christian character and not just how charismatic you need to be to influence people. What you see as most important in leadership is what you will model and teach to others. 
So value your Christian character and your gospel convictions, no matter how competent you think that you might need to be. Competence is important, yes, but no more important than character and gospel convictions. And for those of you who are not aspiring to be leaders, well, let me ask you, who are you listening to? And who are you following in your Christian life and why? Follow those Christian leaders who clearly belong to Christ. And you can tell those who belong to Christ because is their leadership modelled of Christ? Are they known for their grace and their humility and their devotion to the gospel, no matter how people see them? Listen to those Christian leaders who will tell you not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear so that you grow in Christ-likeness. And respect those Christian leaders who deflect praise away from themselves and put it where it always and rightly belongs, on Christ himself. Great leadership is grace leadership, shaped by the gospel, modelled on the gospel and proclaims the gospel. My prayer is that we will never hear again in this church who died and made you boss, but praise be to God for giving us grace leaders. Amen. Uh, We've heard God speak to us this morning, uh, so I hope you were challenged by that. Uh, If you are asking a question about, you know, something that you're reading at the moment, you're not sure if it's right or if, you, you know, someone's trying to steer you the other way, the other great way is we have each other. We have friends and, and colleagues and you know, brothers and sisters here. So if you aren't sure or you've got questions, you know, chat to each other because we are here to build and encourage uh, each other as people and children of God. Uh, we're going to sing in a moment. Um, and then Mike is going to, we're going to share communion together. Um, and it's a great time for us to reflect on what we've heard. Um, and it's a great time for us to, to thank God uh, for what he's done for us. Uh, so I'm going to invite Mike now and he's going to uh, lead us through it. Thanks, Reese. Now, friends, if you're visiting church today, welcome. What we're about to do might feel a little bit strange to you. So let me just briefly explain what we're doing as we share together in the Lord's Supper.